Welcome to the Leaders in Payments podcast, where we talk to C-level leaders from across the payments landscape. We'll be discussing the products and services that impact the payment space today, as well as trends and predictions for the future of payments. We will also hear stories from our guests about their journeys to the top. The key for us is that we're looking for data that will give us a way to algorithmically predict the future cash flows of a business. And then based on that, that prediction, we'll put capital against that business. That was Ari Horowitz, the CEO of Yardline Capital, and he is our special guest this week. This is episode 81 of the Leaders in Payments podcast, and I'm your host, Greg Myers. And hey, before we get started, if you happen to office in Houston, Austin, or North Texas, check out Fuse Workspace, where their mission is to help others do more. Check them out at fuseworkspace.com. Okay, back to the show. Ari grew up just outside of New York City and went to college at the University of Pennsylvania. He's been an entrepreneur his entire life, starting by tarring driveways and tutoring SATs in high school. He started over 10 businesses to date. Yardline Capital provides non-diluted capital for e-commerce sellers operating on marketplaces like Amazon, Etsy, eBay, and others. Many companies that compete on these marketplaces need capital to grow their business, typically using funds for marketing or buying more inventory. Yardline has been in business for just over a year and is continuing to build their brand. Yardline differentiates themselves because they started the company from an operator's perspective and know what it takes to be successful as a seller on the marketplaces. They also provide their customers with a seller success manager that helps each customer grow their business through consulting and thought leadership. We've got a great episode today, so let's get started. Hi, Ari. Thank you for being here, and welcome to the Leaders in Payments podcast. Great to be here. Thanks, Greg, for having me. Absolutely. So let's dive right in. Tell our audience a little bit about yourself, maybe where you grew up, where you went to school, where you currently live, a few things like that. Sure. So I grew up just outside of New York City. I went to the University of Pennsylvania for college and uh, graduated from Penn and have been an entrepreneur pretty much all my life. Even before college, I was touring driveways and tutoring SATs to make a few bucks here and there. And then I've just continued that with that entrepreneurial spirit and entrepreneurial bug ever since I graduated from Penn, started probably about 10 businesses now, raised half a billion dollars worth of capital for them. And just it's in my blood. I hear you. Are you in New York now? Yeah. So just outside of New York in a town called Amagansett, we've been hibernating out here during COVID. I got three small children and we dragged them out of New York City and sent them to school out here. So we've been hunkering down here, but plan to go back to the city in the fall, hopefully when things settle down a little bit. Okay. Okay, cool. Well, let's talk about the company Yardline Capital. Tell us what Yardline does. So real simply, we provide non-dilutive growth capital to, uh, specifically to e-commerce sellers operating in the marketplace economies. So it's a sector that you know I sort of stumbled upon this, quite frankly, when I was uh, involved with a company called Thrasio, which is one of the leading acquirer of, of Amazon and now really e-commerce businesses. And we, we just recognized as we were buying businesses that we looked at about 10, every 10 businesses we looked at, we bought maybe one of them. And the other nine, they all had the same characteristic, which was they all were in need of cash. The growth opportunity on these marketplaces is really unlimited. 
because the customers are there and really the gaming factor is having access to capital. And most of them were just in a tough spot and didn't really know where to go for that or didn't like the options that were out there. So we had this incredible platform that we built to acquire businesses and we'd accumulated all this data around what meant to operate these businesses. And it just seemed to make a lot of sense to put that all together and package it up and launch a business, provide growth capital. So that's what we do at Yardline. It's uh, providing growth capital to e-commerce sellers. Okay. And when you say marketplaces, Amazon, Etsy, things like that, right? Yeah. Amazon, Etsy, Walmart, eBay, Chewy, you know, more and more they're coming up. We'll even look at wholesale marketplaces. I know Shopify is not a marketplace direct to consumer, but the key for us is that we're looking for data that will give us a way to algorithmically predict the future cash flows of a business. And then based on that, that prediction, we'll put capital against that business. So we're underwriting purely toward the data. And that's how we're helping these companies grow. Okay. So how do you get the data? Through technology. So you know, this is one of the things we also learned at Thrasio was how to get that data. And I think it's great. It's not just about you know how to get it. It's what to get. Right. So in any environment like this, you got to know how to get it through the tech. You got to know what to look for. And then once you get it, you got to figure out what it all means. So that's what we got really good at from a buying company's perspective. And we just simply applied that same knowledge to the ability to provide growth capital to companies. So it's Amazon. If it's Amazon, you will, we can go directly to Amazon. We can get permission from the sellers. And that's pretty much the same methods cross platform. Okay. And how big is the company? I mean, in terms of our aspirations, in terms of our brand, how many people, I mean, we've been at this for just over a year. Okay. You know, we like to think that you know, the brand is certainly getting some traction. You know, people seem to recognize it. And I think we stumbled upon a pretty good name there. So from a awareness perspective, we're getting bigger and bigger every day. And both through our relationship with Thrasio, which is where we, you know, we sort of were born out of, and then our, so through our existence on our own, you know, we've interacted with thousands of merchants. So you know, I think that's the real benchmark for us is you know, how many sellers can we interact with and help them grow. Okay. And how do you know, are there categories that you sort of stick to or, you know, how do you know? I mean, there's probably hundreds of thousands of sellers, right? Across all these platforms. How do you find them? Yeah, well, that's the trick here, right? So I guess there's two parts, two answers to that question. First of all, how do you get them? That's the skill in this business. And we have some great people on our team, Matt Clooney being one of them, who has built an organization that that goes after and knows where to get these guys. It comes partially out of just some traditional marketing. And a lot of it comes through our partnerships. Having Thrasio as a partner, we get a lot of leads from them. We work with a lot of the other aggregators as well who are sending us leads and just some basic branding and marketing to create awareness for people that are looking for capital. So you know, we come out of the industry and people know to look for us. As far as who we'll provide capital to, we're pretty ubiquitous in that respect. You know, there's certain categories that we think are riskier than other categories, like certainly the staples we find to be a lower risk category and the pricing for our capital will reflect that. In areas that we find higher risk that could potentially be like fashion or maybe electronics where there's technology risk, we build that into our underwriting. But there's really not a category that we wouldn't provide capital to. We'll just risk adjust the pricing on it. Okay, that makes sense. And typically these companies are using capital for marketing, buying inventory, things like that, right? Well, we don't tell companies how to use the capital. We purely make our decisions on how much capital provide based on the data that they are currently in terms of their operating history. We encourage them to use it in the areas you described. I think that if someone's going to take capital from us and pay for it, that it would be 
smart for them to use it for either inventory or for marketing. So those would be the two areas that we encourage them to do. It actually works out to be about 60% of the capital that they're taking from us typically goes towards purchasing additional inventory and about 40% of it goes towards marketing. It just happens to be the breakdown that we've been able to derive. And I think that's, you know, that's kind of the smart move. That's what we would recommend if someone was asking. Okay. Okay. What would you say differentiates your company from your competitors out there? I think a couple things there would be the differentiators for us. One of the major ones is that we come from the operators and that's in our blood. So we truly understand what it takes to be successful as both an Amazon seller and an e-commerce seller. And so we took that operational history and all the data that we accumulated from actually running a business and we put that into our models both from the standpoint of how we decide how much capital to provide to somebody, as well as a big component of our business, which is teaming up our clients with a seller success manager once they've engaged with us. And a seller success manager for us is somebody that is really quarterbacking the different areas of expertise in and around being a successful e-commerce or marketplace seller and being able to look at a client identify the low-hanging fruit as to how to help them grow, help them in situations where things aren't working out necessarily, and just really being a coach and an advisor and a point person, even if we don't have an answer, to be able to direct them to people that do. So I think that really all leads back to our operational expertise. We have a training program where we make sure that people internally really understand how to operate an e-commerce business. And so all that feeds into a real competitive differentiator for us. What also comes out of that, Greg, is that if you're really good at operating these businesses and you truly understand what it means to be successful, you should be able to better identify the winners and for the winners, be able to provide larger pools of capital at better prices. And we believe we've seen that so far in our evolution that the ones that we really get excited about, when we look at what our competitors have offered and what we have offered, that typically holds much larger pools of capital and more aggressive prices. And then the third piece would be we're heavily focused on technology. So being able to tap directly into multiple marketplaces, into external data, and be able to continually automate that process reduces our own internal costs makes it easier for partners to or clients to engage with us and also creates what we call capital as a service, which is the ability for any platform to embed capital into their infrastructure. And so I think if you add all those pieces up, we have created somewhat of a moat around our business. And I think we truly differentiate from some of the other players out there. Okay. And I know just from my research and past, some of these e-commerce sellers, so they start out right on one of these platforms. And if they're successful, a lot of times they'll then try to, you know, build a brand and maybe go out beyond the platforms and move out and create their own e-commerce website and things like that. Are you guys involved in that part of the business at all? Or is it strictly on the platforms? No, absolutely. We underwrite not only cross-platform, but for any D2C revenues that someone might be able to go to. And in fact, we encourage that. I think that that's the right move. That's certainly what we did at Thrasio is we would, if we were acquiring a brand that was only on Amazon, part of the strategy there was to extend it to a Shopify or direct-to-consumer platform. And so it certainly is part of our underwriting and part of the value add that we bring to the table is we not only encourage cross-platform distribution and not have single-channel risk, but we're willing to finance that. Okay. Okay. So where do you see the fintech or e-commerce industry headed, say, in the next two to three years? Well, man, I, you know, 
as I mentioned at the outset, being an entrepreneur my whole life, I can't remember or I can't even imagine a more exciting time to be an entrepreneur. These platforms are so incredible in the way as a solopreneur, so much of the heavy lifting of running a business is taken care of for you to be able to just focus on brand and refining your product and really get deep into the product and then have to know that the customers are there and not have to really go out and find them. That's just incredible. And so it's super exciting to watch the growth and see the $300 billion of gross merchandise value going through Amazon. And I think that from an e-commerce perspective, people will continue to go to Amazon and buy brooms and that's going to continue to grow. What I think is also really exciting is we start to see platforms like Instagram get traction. What I found myself in particular is when I know what I want, I go onto Amazon. Because of the platform, the way Instagram set up, they seem to tell me what I want and I find myself engaging there and purchasing product. What I think gets really exciting there is all of the influencers who have been promoting other people's products on there start to realize that they don't necessarily have to do that, but they can start to build their own brands when all the infrastructure around them, both to source, to sell, and in the case of Yardline, to be able to get growth capital, it's all out there for them. And they're better served to create equity value to build their own brands rather than promote the equity value of somebody else's. So I think we're in the early innings on this one. I think that there's an enormous amount of growth here. And that's sort of some of the sectors you're going to see it from. Sure. And e-commerce spend in 2020 was up, what uh, I read something 44%. I mean, that's just incredible, obviously largely driven by the pandemic. But I feel like, and curious your thoughts, a lot of people that just now discovered, you know, maybe they're older or for whatever reason, just discovered the Amazons of the world, how simple it is. You know, I think that pendulum is going to swing back a little where people are going to go back to stores. But I think so many people are going to just continue to buy on e-commerce because it's so easy. What's your thought on that? Yeah, absolutely. I think we just jump forward five years is the general consensus that I'm hearing. And it's for those of us that have been playing in the e-commerce space it almost seems so obvious, but to your point, there's just a lot of people that haven't experienced it. And it's one of those things where once you experience it, you don't really want to go back. Now, that being said, I do think that there's a good balance out there. Clearly with the pandemic, we went very heavy e-commerce and I think there still is a, there's an experience that can be had in the brick and mortar space. But I do think that's going to evolve. I think that probably the biggest thing we're going to see is that rather being, hey, we're a retailer, now we got to get an e-commerce strategy. I think you're going to start to see it go the other way. I think you're going to see e-commerce companies or businesses start to figure out their brick and mortar extension. And so it's, it's going to start to flip. And the brick and mortar environment, and I've been seeing some very interesting business plans coming across my desk for this, are going to start to look and feel in many respects a lot more like an e-commerce platform and then the other way around. So I think that's probably going to be the biggest shift, Greg, is that model is going to flip on its head. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with you. So let's switch gears a little bit and talk about you. So you started to tell us a little bit, but I wanted to dig a little deeper into your journey and how you became the CEO there. Well, you know, look, that's, I sort of gave myself the job, which I guess is the easiest interview to have, right? But in all seriousness, we were sort of mentioned, you know, it sort of stumbled upon it a little bit when we were buying businesses through the Thrasio platform and recognizing that we're only buying a small percentage of the ones that we were looking at, and they all 
seem to have a similar need that they all need cash. Due to the dynamics of being an e-commerce seller, you're buying in China, you're prepaying most of the time, or at least 30% down on order. And then by time something gets on a boat and gets through customs and into the warehouses and distribution centers, you know, it could be 120 days till you see your first distribution from Amazon or the other platforms. That's a tough, tough working capital requirement for a business. And if you're growing at 20%, or I think you mentioned 44% growth or whatever it was, not for the latest statistics in Amazon, but you're doing okay. If you're growing 100% year over year, you're not really an outlier. And so 100% year over year growth with that kind of cash dynamic of prepay and 120 days, that's a real, real drain on cash when you're growing. So the need for capital is just very obvious in that space. And so looking at that, we said, well, how do we take advantage of this? And I sort of raised my hand and said, you know, I launched a number of businesses and I think this is a great way to repurpose technology and repurpose data and go do this as an independent company. And so I uh, sort of elected myself as CEO and I got consensus and we were off to the races. Okay. And so prior to Yardline and Thrashio, were you in the e-commerce space? Not directly. I The early part of my career was in technology. I was building, you know, everything from RAID software platforms to some of the early internet infrastructure to some of the the networks around the world. I had a platform that I actually launched with one of the co-founders of Thrasio, which is how I ultimately got involved with Thrasio. Carlos Cashman and I launched a company called Opus360 around a product called freeagent.com. And, you know, it was a lesson in timing is everything. If it was 10 or 15 years later, we could have been Fiverr or Elance or <laughs> Upwork. Instead, we were uh, we burned through a lot of both venture capital and public money as we started that company in 1998 and eventually got it public. And that was after Carlos and I had been involved in two successful exits prior to that. So it was our third company together. And you know, Carlos and I stay in touch. And you know, we got we were having lunch. I think it was three years ago. When he told me about the the company that he and Josh Silverstein had started, and I was actually not that familiar with the Amazon third-party seller market. I was a big stockholder in Amazon, so I was curious to learn more. But man, it was super exciting when I really understood what those guys were thinking. And I was, you know, I was lucky enough to get on board that rocket ship. Awesome. So what are a couple things you're passionate about? So maybe one thing on the business side and one on the personal side. Sure. I mean, this may be a combination. I think it probably doesn't apply to anything here, but I love to kite surf and snowboard. So kite surfing is a big passion of mine. The bigger the waves, the stronger the wind, the better. So that keeps the adrenaline flowing for me. From sort of, I guess we'd say a business side and a personal side, I've been an entrepreneur my whole life and... I've been very lucky. I was, you know, I was able to go to the University of Pennsylvania. And when I graduated from school, there was a lot of options for me to do different things. And even as an entrepreneur, access to venture capital and growth capital, you know, with an Ivy League education was something where the doors were open there. I don't think that most people have that opportunity. And so, you know, one of the things that I'm very passionate about and we're incorporating with the Yardline platform is being able to help sort of less fortunate communities to be able to take advantage of this incredible opportunity on the marketplace platforms. I think it's a unique time where someone who has a lot of grit and has a lot of desire for very little capital can, and if they get access to some technology, really just a computer, they can figure out what to make. They can find someone to manufacture it for them and they can ultimately build themselves a nice little asset or even a little business where they can make a living on their own 
not dependent on anybody else. And so I'm really excited about that. I think that that's, you know, it's an incredible, it doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter your history. It doesn't matter what college you went to. All that matters is that you execute. And so when we provide capital yard line, it's all data driven. And so it's completely democratic when it comes to that. And so one of the things that I'm passionate about personally, and that we will incorporate into the business is helping those less fortunate to be able to do this. And I think if we're successful in that, not only will it help the tide rise and everything will improve, but I think it's just a, it's a really good thing to do for society and it will help solve a lot of problems. Yeah, I love that concept. Makes a lot of sense. What would your advice be to someone, say, just coming out of college, they want to get into the fintech area or payments or one of those sort of technology, but on the e-commerce side? What would your advice be to them to help them to have a successful career? Well, look, I think that it really depends what path you want to take. You know, there's certainly a case to be made for go work with a very successful larger company and go through a training program and learn everything you can from a larger organization where there's a wealth of knowledge. And I think that path can be great for a lot of people. And it's all about just taking it all in and having lots of different experiences. The other path is you go the entrepreneurial route and you just you try things and you make a lot of mistakes but you keep trying. And in that case, it's probably the one I'm closer to because that's what I've done my whole career. And the advice I'd be giving people there is the biggest mistake I see people make is that they don't raise capital quickly enough. They get too worried about dilution and they end up owning a large piece of nothing. And I think especially early on, if you truly have that entrepreneurial bug, you're best served to go find as many smart people as you can Sell them pieces of your company so you get them engaged, but don't worry about dilution. Worry about staying in business. Worry about filling up or improving your balance sheet by putting cash on it and go try a lot of different things and you will just continue to learn on somebody else's dollar. But ultimately, if you raise enough money, you're not as worried about dilution, you improve your chances of success. So I think that would be my the number one piece of advice that I would give to people is just go do it. And don't think this is going to be your last company or this is your only idea. Just make sure it's successful and improve your chances of success in whatever ways you can by surrounding yourself with really smart people and as much capital as people will give you. Yeah. Yeah, I love that advice. I think there are definitely two paths today, and uh, I think you hit on both of them. So we've covered a lot of ground from information about the company to sort of the market and where it's heading to a little bit about you. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we wrap up? Look, I just I think the one thing that we haven't talked about, it seems like everyone seems it's on everyone's mind is the SPAC market. I mean, that may be a little out there for this conversation, but I just think it's a really interesting one. And the fact that we might be in another bubble here, and I think that could be the driver of it. You know, I think it's as you see the opportunity to go out there and get access to capital, I think that's just another extension of that. And, you know, it sort of filters on down to my earlier thesis that today is just an incredible time to be an entrepreneur, right? As you build these businesses and you have now access to so much information, you have these platforms that will enable you to get going for very little capital. You then have companies like Yardline that will provide you with the growth capital, which is unsecured. You don't have to put up your house if you have one. You can just come to us and within 24 hours get millions of dollars in your bank account to continue to grow your business, non-dilutive capital. And then there's all these companies out there that will provide you with liquidity when you ultimately grow these businesses to take you out. 
And then even if you decide not to go down that path, and by the way, we've seen people that go down that path and they go start all over and do it again. Now there's this burgeoning market of public capital that is looking for great product to acquire. So, I mean, I just think it's an incredible time to be an entrepreneur and to start businesses or run businesses with all this access to capital out there and all these tools too. I mean, between Carta and DocuSign, I mean, it's just been and Zoom, I mean, just the velocity at which we're able to ramp up Yardline and get this business cranking is pretty incredible. So I think, you know, that would be the one other thing I would just say is just, it's just such a cool time and we're having a lot of fun out here. Yeah, there's just so much, it's seemingly so much money out there every day reading. You used to read about companies getting five or six million dollars. Now it seems like it's hundreds of millions of dollars out there. So I think you're right. It's a great time to be entrepreneurial. It's a great time to, I think, raise money. And hopefully the SEC doesn't get too involved in the SPAC market and and that can remain a a way for people to go public. So we'll see. But Laurie, I I really appreciate you being here today. I think it it was a great show and glad to get to know you. So thank you so much for being on today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having us. It was really, it was great to talk to you as well. Love your background, love your history. And I think this was terrific. So thank you for some smart questions and or a lot of smart questions and for engaging with us. Yeah, great. I appreciate it. And to all you listeners out there, I thank you for your time as well. And until the next story. Thank you for joining us this week on the Leaders in Payments podcast. Make sure you visit our website at leadersinpayments.com, where you can subscribe to the show and where you'll find our show notes. If you enjoyed listening, please share on your social channels as well. 